0: Good morning. The uh, word of the Lord comes to us from Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. This is called the Great Commission, which is the title of my sermon. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. I'll begin reading in uh, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. It's a great pleasure to be here this morning. I only get to come every several years when I'm on home mission assignment, but there's a close connection between this church and me. Um, My uncle, Jack Brown, was a ruling elder in this church for for many years. And so I I think of it, my my first home church is Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. I grew up there. Uh, But my second home, I feel is here. So it's always great to be back here. Now, th- I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Now then, we're talking about the Great Commission. This kicks off a month of uh, focusing on missions. And I, I know that this is a missions-minded church, and I'm very grateful for that. Other churches aren't like that. It's more like what's missions. But this church has always had a commitment to the Great Commission. Now, Have you ever heard the name of um, William Carey? His is a pivotal name in church history. He is considered to be the father of the modern era of Protestant missions. He lived in the late 18th century in England, and he was a poor um, Baptist preacher. He was a reformed or Calvinistic Baptist preacher. And he was also a shoe repairman. And that's how he supported his family. But he got the vision for missions and uh, went about uh, spreading this idea. What if we started sending missionaries to foreign parts of the world and sharing Jesus with the, the lost people that are around the world? And it wasn't uh, readily accepted everywhere. The story is told that a, an elder of one of the churches where he was speaking stood up and said, sit down, young man. When God is ready to save the heathen, he will do so without any help from you or me. What would you say to that? But he was undone. He persevered, raised the support, and uh, took his family, and went to India. He was never seen again in England. He spent the rest of his life on the field in India. And there he did important translation work, founded a college, and later missionaries built upon the foundation laid by William Carey. So he's uh, one of my personal heroes. So much, in fact, that I named my son Carey after William Carey, this pioneer British missionary. And so the first thing I want us to consider is the need for missions. Why do we need to send missionaries? Well, one thing Christ commanded us to do so. I just read to you from Matthew 28, what is called the Great Commission. It was his final words to his disciples before he ascended. So we dare not neglect this very clear imperative, this command from our Lord there. Go forth and make disciples in all the nations there." And we remember that the majority of the world remains unconverted, as we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way. Now, the, uh, the churches of the Northern Hemisphere are backing away from that. I read to my great dismay, this online Christian magazine, Christian Post, they took a survey, and they found that seventy percent of professing uh, evangelicals in the United States do not believe that Jesus is the only way. I found this to be very disturbing, and this is why we do missions. We do missions to create uh, new disciples of Christ who will be praying for the Christians, the apostate Christians of. Uh, the, the northern hemisphere there, and maybe we need uh, some of them, uh, the descendants of the, the uh, early um, converts to the missionaries, come back and re-evangelize America. Of course, I realize there are many people such as you who remain steadfastly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I see a definite weakening of that. And that's all the more reason I feel that we need to continue. The missionary movement and, and uh, work towards the uh, completion of the great Commission there is matthew twenty four fourteen and which says uh, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all of the world and then and then what and then the end will come now we uh, we uh, recited the Lord's Prayer, in which we, we prayed, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we find is, as we um, preach this gospel through the missionaries and other means, that we're uh, praying for the uh, world, the, the kingdom of man, to be overthrown, and that God's kingdom will truly come in all of its fullness. And this uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen is in fact on the logo of African Bible College. The Gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world, and then the end will come. I wonder how many of us today are ready for that. Do we really want the end to come? Do we really want God's Kingdom, that Jesus return and inaugurate the Kingdom in all of its fullness? This is what missions is really all about. It's it's a story of completion, of God uh, redeeming his world through um, various means, but one of the chief means being the sending, the funding of missionaries. And then also there is 2 Peter 3.11. And 2 Peter 3.11 It says, and since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for his new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, that sounds kind of uh, scary, actually. A new heavens and a new earth, and the present heavens and earth being dissolved through fire. Okay, we know that God, who is sovereign, amen, all things are according to the foreordained um, ordinances, the directives, the decrees of God. So there's a day fixed for the day of the Lord to come down and envelop this world in which we live. But what we learned from 2 Peter 3, this passage I just read, is that we here are not to be passive. We have a role, an assigned role for all of us to play. All of us, every uh, believer should have be conscious of having a part in the completion of the Great Commission. We are not uh, to be passive. And so, some of us may be called to missions. Others are called to stay here and support missions financially or through prayer and other means of encouragement. But there is a role for the, uh, the whole body of Christ here on earth for missions, Now we find that um, early missions had a cost. There was a cost to missions. The uh, early missions had a high mortality rate. Uh, One of the the courses I teach at African Bible College is uh, church history, so I'm very much aware of what a high mortality rate the early Christians had. For one thing, beginning in the early 19th century, which is when Protestant missions really kicked off and began its work, uh, it was before the rise of modern medicine. Many missionaries died from disease, tropical disease. They had no uh, effective treatment for malaria, yellow fever, and other diseases. And so for that reason, the uh, mission field became dotted with the, um, the uh graves of missionaries and their, their families there. But they uh, went anyway. They went anyway. Sometimes, according to stories, they took their coffins with them, knowing they were not going to come back, but knowing what the risk they were taking. And, but the Lord called them to take that risk, to pay the price. And many did. And this led to the uh, overall success, the eventual success of the missionary movement. Uh, the story is so that there was a European missionary agency, the Basel missions, and they sent out 10 missionaries. Nine died in very short order. And the 10th uh, one survived only through the ministrations of an African doctor. But um, they persevered. I would have given up, but they didn't. Eventually the Basel missions um, began winning converts. And other mission agencies had very similar experiences. Others got speared to death and, and murdered. Uh, one thinks about, for example, Jim Elliot. You see, missionary service could still be hazardous duty. Not like in the old days. The mortality rate for missionaries today is nothing like what it was in the early generations. As, as a contemporary missionary, I realized that I stand on the foundation of uh, built by those early pioneers in missions. And they made it possible for me to do the work that I do. And for other missionaries today to do the work they're doing um, with uh, far less risk involved there. Many of you may know the story of Jim Elliot. He and four other uh missionaries were operating in south america and they were piloting on, on a small light plane they landed on the banks of, of a river and they were attacked by Alka indians and they were speared to death and um, their the story is, is told and been told in movies beyond the, the the gates of splendor is a movie that was made about their their uh, murder there but what happened is the, the uh, family members of those murdered missionaries went to the Indians, preached the gospel to them, and converted the Indians that had murdered their, their family members there. That's what you call perseverance. That's commitment. The love of Christ um, prevailed there. And some some very good results came about there. And uh, and. Various ways missionaries uh, meet opposition. Uh, they risk jail time um, or deportation and so forth. But nevertheless, people still go, having counted the cost, having weighed the, the, uh, the, the risk there. And they're going forth and they are boldly uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as they are assisted by the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's the success story of missions. It's actually uh, a a really inspiring uh, success story because the composition of the church has changed. 200 years ago, 250 years ago in the days of William Carey, Christianity was confined largely for the most part to Europe, and to North America. Certainly Protestant Christianity was confined to this small area. Uh, Beginning with uh, William Carey and those who followed in his wake, they went out throughout the 19th century. The 19th century and the first half of the 20th century I consider to be the golden era of missions. These were the people, the men and the women who went out on sailing ships with no uh, real hope of a returning, many did, but they went out and they laid the foundations for the church as it is today. The church today is very different. It's now truly a worldwide global religion, it's the largest religion in the world because missionaries went out and preached, and the message was listened to and accepted. And as a result of that, um, the the majority of Christians, uh, Protestant evangelical Christians, living in the world today, are in the southern hemisphere. They're they're found in places like Argentina. They're they're found in Pacific islands, and they're found in uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, which is where I've lived for the last 29 years. You'll find that. Uh, the missionaries to Africa found a, a ready, um, um, receptive audience there. Because of the culture of Africa, they were already prepared for uh, the idea of a high God. And they were then told by missionaries of this high God, so loving the world that He gave His only Son, and through faith in Him, sins are forgiven and eternal life may be obtained. And um, as I was saying in the Sunday school class earlier, there's probably nowhere else where um, the church is growing today than in Africa. And uh, we, uh, in Africa, I've, I've been to one Presbyterian church after another overflow crowd. They'll uh, have a, an English service and a Chichewa service preaching to, to uh, packed houses every Sunday. And so there, there's a spiritual hunger and accompanied by a spiritual receptiveness that you don't see here. And that's why I, I praise God for having put me in this very productive, fruitful field where we're seeing real results there. And um, there's, uh, um, besides going around the world, planting churches, wedding converts, baptizing them and discipling them, There's also a a social dimension. Besides planting churches, they uh, attacked uh, some uh, uh, long-held, deep-seated cultural um, practices and beliefs that were actually kind of harmful. For example, missionaries went to China in the 19th century, and there's this cultural tradition, this practice in China called foot binding. They would bind the feet of small girls, so that when they grew up to be adult women, they had tiny misshapen feet, and they would just go through life hobbling around. And so missionaries and and others there in China attacked this practice and it got abolished. Missionaries went to India, and they found this horrific practice called sati, or widow burning. The idea of sati was when a man died, a husband died, and his wife survived him. in uh, that uh, area of the world, they don't bury people, they cremate them. And so the widow was, was supposed to fling herself upon the funeral parts of her husband and allow herself to be burned to death. This was called sati. Uh, the idea was that in so doing, they would earn from themselves better karma, more karma, uh, higher reincarnate reincarnation and their next life there. Missionaries and others uh, denounced this. They fought against this. They opposed this. And so that practice of sati was uh, abolished there. And in East Africa, parts of uh, East Africa, you had this uh, practice. Well, it was called female uh, circumcision, girls getting horribly mutilated through this practice. And of course, missionaries were at the foremost, at the forefront of um, uh, the abolition movement. They opposed slavery. I told you about one of my uh, heroes was William Carey, father of the modern Protestant missionary movement. But another one was William Wilberforce. He's a member of the British Parliament who spent his adult life opposing slavery and finally got the abolition of the slave trade aboard British ships back in 1807. There's a great movie about the life of William Wilberforce called Amazing Grace. In fact, at one time, I thought about naming my son Wilberforce. And I thought, no, that won't really work too well. I, I could just see me calling a Wilberforce Time to come home, Wilberforce, and the other boys would say, "We'll see you later, Wilberforce." And so it was. I named him Carey after my other um, uh, hero, William Carey. There, and um, so um, again, uh, missionaries persevered, and and um, the the uh, and opposing a long-seated, very long-held uh, cultural. Practices there. There's also the need for a Christian education, and this is what African Bible College is really all about. It's meaning that this need there's this big deficit and knowledge of the Christian faith, and so all across Africa, you've got large uh, congregations, but typically the sermon is preached by a uh, ill-equipped Um, lay person, a member of the congregation and and there's a lack of pastors. The people need more pastors, more Christian leaders, more teachers, educated teachers who can pass on the knowledge of uh, Christianity to the people so they have more than just a rudimentary um, kind of knowledge there. Uh, For example, and uh, one day I was teaching system um, I was in my systematic theology class. These were the juniors, the, the third year students. Student raised his hand to ask a question. And his question was, is it true that if I sin and then I pray, there's an evil spirit in the sky that will capture my prayer and keep it from getting to heaven. What kind of teaching is that? I've never read anything about evil spirit in the sky in any Bible that I've ever read. But the point is, what this highlights is, there's a lot of superstition. There's a lot of heterodox ideas being preached by uh, ill-prepared teachers and and preachers uh, in Africa. Not just in Malawi, but really all across Southern Africa. We, we, uh, and so um, at African Bible College, we ha- well, actually, we have five majors. We have biblical studies, education, mass communication, business administration, community development. So it's not a pastoral teaching college, but everyone uh, who goes to African Bible colleges gets me. They get me for <laughs> uh, world history, church history, systematic theology, Daniel, Revelation world religions, sometimes I teach hermeneutics and so forth. And so we are teaching our students, then they go out and teach other people who go out. And so my ministry there has this, this multiplier effect. And so over time, over time, we're seeing a, a, a difference being made in Malawi because of the uh, work of African Bible College. We have several of our graduates who are members of parliament. We've got two I can think of who are members of the president's cabinet. The president of the Republic of uh, Malawi has actually eaten supper in my house. And um, so we're we're having an influence there. And this is evidence to me that God is truly blessing uh, the work the the Ministry of African Bible College. It's a place where their their culture is very different from ours. For example, here in the United States, if you're a teacher in a uh, public school, you're forbidden from mentioning faith, uh, reading the Bible, or praying there. That's strictly forbidden in this culture. Over in Malawi, there's this openness there. If you're a teacher in a public school in Malawi, you are perfectly free to uh, pray, read the scriptures, and so forth. And so African Bible College is able to feed into that, to that openness there by training teachers who've been given uh, instruction and in, in solid uh, Reformed theology to th- that they can share with their students there. And... Um, I go out, and uh, in times past, I've gone out into villages to show the Jesus film, do evangelism. And I'll sit down with the elders. I said, okay, let's have a question and answer session here. If you've got any questions about the Bible, about Christian doctrine, this is your, your chance. So let's, let's just sit down and ask. And I can tell by the questions they ask, they've had little opportunity to get solid training to fulfill the duties of a, a church elder. They'll ask me questions like, why don't we honor Mary? Because uh, there'll be a, a Catholic church in the vicinity. They'll ask me, is it true that only 144,000 are going to heaven? Because the Jehovah's Witnesses will be in the area. And so um, we, by various means, we're trying to reach to the villages, to these prayer houses, to. Um, to expand their knowledge of the Christian faith. And um, we have uh, other uh, challenges besides the, the lack of uh, lack of knowledge on church leaders at the village level. We have uh, the, the uh, arrival of cults. Believe it or not, the Mormons have arrived in uh, Africa. They're in Malawi. I've seen two or three Mormon churches in Lalongwe. If I were a, a black man, I could never be a Mormon. They used to teach that black skin was the curse of God. It was the curse of Ham there, and um, they they changed that um, their theology in order to meet the demands of uh, of uh, the, the culture, political correctness, and everything. But it's a cult, and so but they're they're there and they're winning. Um, Uh, adherents and converts to Mormonism. There's the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses have become actually very big. I don't know where they're getting their money from, but they've become big. Just in the time that I've been in Malawi, the the Jehovah's Witnesses have been very big. And if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, they they deny the full deity of Jesus Christ. Some of them suggest that The angel Michael and Jesus are the same person in the Bible. It's a pernicious cult there. And we get uh, 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 lingering uh, what's called African traditional religion. And this gets mixed in with with, uh, some churches there. The prosperity gospel is huge in Africa. And if you think about it, it almost makes sense. That because they see uh, uh, Western people say, hey, this prosperity gospel began over there in the West. Look how prosperous they are. It must really work. And so there are a lot of churches that are focused on preaching the health and wealth gospel there. And this is a problem. I, uh, to my students, I make it a point to speak uh, against this because it's so prevalent. And, um, and then in addition to, to that, between the, the cults and, and um, there's also um, liberal uh, pastors who have been uh, trained by liberal seminaries. Some African um, ministerial candidates or pastors will come to the United States. They'll go to liberal uh, mainline Protestant um, seminaries, and they take their post-Christian, their progressive Christian ideas back with them to Africa, and the church gets infected in that way. Um, I myself, I got my Doctor of Theology degree from the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. It's not an evangelical institution, Uh, but in my case, since I was was studying, uh, I was getting my degree in history, church history, so it really didn't matter that they were liberal. I managed to pass their uh, their dissertation committee and everything because we were talking about history not about theology. University of Malawi has a faculty uh, on religion. Same kind of thing, not evangelical, very much a postmodern mainline Protestant kind of thing there. We actually uh, tried to work out a, a way to, to work with the... Uh, uh, faculty of Theology at the University of Malawi, and it didn't work out. We found that we're just too far apart, so we weren't able to, to uh, form a, any kind of arrangement with, with them there. And then finally, I've been asked to, to talk about support. Now, you've already uh, been, uh, you've had the uh, your Faith Promise Program mentioned to you, And since I'm not from this church, I really know nothing about that. But, uh, yeah, um, your church leaders can tell you more about faith promise and how you can give to missions. Um, I can tell you that uh, being a missionary, uh, you have to raise your own support. You have to itinerate. You have to raise and maintain your support. And it's a lifelong thing. You have to keep doing it, because over time, churches fall away. Individual givers fall away. And so uh, there's always that need. Uh, My personal role, you know, being a a support raiser, I've never been really very comfortable at doing that. But uh, churches like this church and individuals, Uh, by the grace of God, have been very faithful in keeping me on the mission field by supporting me. And I'm very grateful for you and the others that support me. So I would uh, end by saying prayerfully consider how you can participate in the Great Commission through giving. Uh, Whatever you can give really uh, makes a difference. It's playing a, a, a real role in God's commissioning, uh, that which we call the Great Commission. So in conclusion, I would say that I want to remind you that missions is not peripheral to the life of the church, but rather missions is the primary responsibility of the church. As I was saying earlier, when I read the Second Peter passage, You're not intended to uh, remain passive, but actively, actively through prayer, through giving, um, consider what your role is in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the God given prerequisite for the end of the church age and for the second coming. And really, isn't that what we're all really hoping for? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great commission. We thank you for uh, uh, what you are doing through uh, missionaries and their supporting churches. Help us to be ever faithful and non-wavering until this great task, this great commission is completed. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.